Oh, well, good morning, Access Church. It's good to be here. I have preached here before. Uh, it was quite a while ago. It must have been a very good sermon because it's taken a while to be forgotten <laughs> and invited back. But uh, it's my pleasure to be here today. And uh, although uh, Joel gave a, a fairly accurate flow of events, I'm not from Adelaide. Uh, I, I'm from Toowoomba, mostly. That's my hometown. And uh, although I worked out recently that I've actually spent more years living in Maryborough now as the senior pastor of Life Church, just hit 16 years this month, than I've lived anywhere. So uh, I guess, although I grew up, you know, where you grow up is where you call home, um, it, it's no longer true that that's where I've spent the most of my, my time. You know, we, we talk about the details of stories and, and we want to pay attention to the details of stories at times. And, and I want to ask you this morning as we get started, what is it that you pay attention to? See, we all pay attention to different things, don't we? We keep a close eye on certain things in our lives, in our world, in our workplace, in our homes. Sometimes you pay attention. Some of you might be, you know, keeping close eye on the stock market as at the moment and seeing the fluctuations that take place and what your net worth is based on that. Some people uh, pay attention to the property values, the property market and what, you know, houses are worth. My my, one of my daughters is thinking about buying a house at the moment, and so we're kind of keeping an eye on, on uh, the property values in, in South Brisbane and seeing, you know, what we might be able to help her find there and, and how on earth are we going to find that much money, or her for that matter. And we, we look at different things, right? We pay attention to different things. Some people keep an eye on their sporting team and how it's uh, going, uh, you know, towards the grand final and... And uh, if you're an AFL fan, yeah, I spent too much time in the South. On the ladder is the te uh, technical word there, um, where your team is on the ladder. But you might uh, pay attention or follow someone famous, uh, a movie star, a singer, and you pay attention to what's going on in, in their world. Or maybe it's, it's your Facebook feed that Joel's like on right now. Uh, <laughs> that you pay attention to. Maybe you keep an eye uh, on your kids or on your bank account or, or your weight. Um, I've had a fair bit on my, on, uh, on my plate recently uh, between trying to pastor my church in Maribara and, uh, and uh, give leadership to the whole district. We've got 67 pastors and 42 churches in the South Queensland district. The South Queensland district, believe it or not, encompasses the Northern Territory. That, that might be news for you. <laughs> But we have three churches um, up, up there. We have a, a Tongan church, an African church, and an indigenous church that's just started this year, um, which you might want to hear something about at some point because that's a very exciting uh, new initiative that's just taken place. But because I've had a lot on my plate, I've had to keep a close eye on my calendar so that I don't miss important events like remembering to come here today. <laughs> so I keep a close eye on my calendar. What is it that you pay attention to. And as we get started today, I want to ask you, have you ever wondered what it is that Jesus pays close attention to? I mean, he came to earth on a mission to die for sinners. He rose from death. He ascended back into heaven. Right now, Jesus is, is exalted and throned on high. He sees all. He knows all. What is it that he is paying attention to? Well, if you open up your Bibles and if we read through early part of the, the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, we see that what Jesus pays close attention to is the local church. That He has His eye 
on what's going on in the local church. He cares a lot about us. And so through John the disciple, he sends, Jesus sends seven letters to seven churches and Jesus speaks directly to these churches. It's amazing as he does that, how closely he has been paying attention to what is going on in those churches. And so today I want to do with you a little study of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We'll focus on 3. And this is, this is the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Open up if you have your Bibles, uh, whether you use a, a Bible app on your phone. Let me give you a bit of an introduction while you're turning there to Revelation chapter 3. Just so you know, my Bible uh, college professor really nailed it into me. It's not Revelations. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Neither is it uh, Psalms 23, <laughs> even though it's the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 23, but it is the book of Psalms. That's for free. Uh, now... <laughs> <laughs> right at the start of Revelation, John declares that this is the revelation from Jesus Christ to John, or in fact through John, to the seven churches that were scattered around an area known as Asia Minor, which is uh, now part of southern Turkey. So if you're picturing that area, southern Turkey, uh, Asia Minor there, and you'll see on this map that they're geographically uh, very close together. And you might see um, just off the coast, there is the Isle of um, Patmos, which is where John was writing from. John's writing uh, this revelation that Jesus has given him on the Isle, island or Isle of Patmos. John had been a significant leader in the early church. Jesus had called him as a young man to follow him, to spend time closely with him. He was there when Jesus died. He was there when Jesus was buried. He was there when Jesus rose from the grave. John was there when Jesus ascended back into heaven. He was a key leader in the early church. He wrote the Gospel of John, the three letters of John, and, and, and the final book in the New Testament known as, the, as uh, Revelation or the Revelation of St. John, if you've got a Catholic Bible. Many of the Jews and the Greeks of his time were against him. They, in fact, tried to kill him a number of times. History tells us including trying to boil him in oil, but somehow they failed. So they exiled him to this island, the Isle of Patmos. Over the years, all the other disciples had been martyred for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down, we read. Mark was dragged behind horses through the streets until he was dead. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. James, the brother of Jesus, was thrown from the top of the temple, 30 metres high, didn't quite kill him, so when they found him alive at the bottom, they beat him to death with clubs. Bartholomew was whipped to death, Andrew was crucified, Thomas was stabbed with a spear, Jude was shot with arrows, Matthias, the one who was chosen to replace Judas, he was stoned to death and then beheaded. Well, maybe he wasn't stoned to death and then beheaded, I'm not sure, but he was dead at the end of that. Um, Barnabas, uh, that was Barnabas, oh, no, he was also stoned to death, Philip was crucified, Paul was tortured and then beheaded, all because they would not deny that Jesus is God. They would not stop preaching the truth that it is only faith alone in Christ alone that we can be forgiven of our sins and made right with God our Father through Jesus Christ. It's now 70 years later. Jesus has ascended into heaven. It's roughly around about 100 AD. John was the last remaining one 
who had walked and talked with Jesus. He was very old now. He had served Christ and his church well, but now in exile, he's away from the churches that he loved. Chapter 1 of Revelation tells us that it was Sunday morning. John is in this cave up on a hill. Uh, You can actually Google, and and, and if you go there, you can go into that cave. They've got like a little tourist gig going there, Um, and so you can see that. But he's in this cave up on the hill. It's Sunday morning on the Isle of Patmos, and Jesus comes and meets with him. And he gives to John these revelations, these, these letters, seven letters to the seven churches, and it's amazing how closely Jesus is paying attention to the churches, to, to his church. And I wonder how closely you pay attention to your church, to what is going on in your church, to what the needs are, to how to pray for your church, to where you're needed to serve in your church. Are you paying close attention to your church because Jesus is paying very close attention to the local church. So much so that as we read these letters um, that were written some 2,000 years ago, Jesus in his position, high and exalted on the throne, dictating these letters to the churches through John, he knows who the leaders are in the churches. He knows how they're doing doctrinally. He knows how they're doing with their life. He knows what churches have let false teachers in and what false doctrines are creeping into the church. He knows those churches that are struggling and suffering under persecution. And he has a very clear and detailed picture of what's going on in the local church. And sometimes in these letters, as Jesus is writing through John to the local church, sometimes in these letters... Jesus has nothing nice to say to that church. Other, other times, other churches, it's a little bit of, of, you know, good stuff and a little bit of bad stuff that, he, that he, he sends in these letters to these churches. And then there are some churches where he has nothing bad to say at all. No criticism whatsoever, only commendation and encouragement. And so let's hear what Jesus has to say as he's paying close attention to this church at Philadelphia. And and as we listen to this, let's hear what he might have to say to us today. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 3 verse 7 says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. He says, I know your deeds. Jesus is paying close attention. You know, all all of your life groups and ministry teams and serving teams, all of those who you bless through your outreach ministries, your meal ministries, all of you who get up early to prepare for church, who stay behind to clean up after Axis Kids, those who clean and mow and garden and repair stuff, those who are giving generously, those who are praying for the church and the, and the leadership of the church, those who are sharing their faith and inviting others, Jesus says, I know your deeds. He knows who you are. He knows what you're doing. He knows how you're giving. He knows how you're praying. He knows how you're serving. He is paying attention to that and he commends you for it. He goes on in verse He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. 
yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And so I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, although they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Your crown, of course, is the reward for faithful service that we all receive once we get to that place of glory. Verse 12, the, only, uh, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out from, uh, of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Here's the challenge. Something that Jesus says to each church over and over again in these few chapters. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is it that Jesus is saying through the Spirit of God to the church in Philadelphia? What is it that he would be saying to Axis Church here today? Well, in this passage that we read, the first thing that I want to draw out, and I'm just going to draw out a few statements through what we've just read and touch on that. The first thing early on in this passage is that Jesus is our King. This is the first thing that the Spirit wants to uh, acknowledge and affirm uh, before us and help us to never forget that Jesus is our King. He is our King. Whatever, whatever leadership there is on earth, whether it's political or, or spiritual, above that is Jesus. Yeah, he, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it says here that he is the one who has the key of David. Now, David was a great king. If you know your Old Testament, David was a great king. And when we hear David in the Bible, we're meant to think of of leadership, of kingship, of rule. You see, when we, have, when we have a big picture of Jesus, we need to have a big picture of Jesus. If we don't have a big picture of Jesus, if we have a little picture of Jesus, what happens if we have a little picture of Jesus is that our problems get bigger. If, if Jesus is small in your life, your problems will be big. When you have a big picture of Jesus, your problems get smaller. Because you see them under the lordship, under the rule, under the dominion of Jesus. The church in Philadelphia was in a very difficult situation. And Jesus wants them to know that he sees it all and that he rules over it all. Well, one of the great tragedies that happens in, in people, in Christians these days, is that we, we t often tend to only see Jesus in, in his humble birth on earth. We see him as this poor, homeless, marginalized, Galilean vagrant. But every time Jesus says something to one of the seven churches, he reminds them of not how he was, but how he is now, after his death, after his resurrection, after the ascension, after his re return to glory. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Jesus is no longer seen in, in his humanity and humility. Right now, he is reigning, Lord of all, in glory, over all. That's how we need to see our King Jesus. 
So let's have a big picture of Jesus, especially as we face the trials and the, and the challenges in life. He is the one who has the key of David, it says. Think keys to the city. You know, he has the power to unlock it all. And then it goes on to say that he is the Holy One. He is holy, without sin, altogether perfect. He's not just the best person who ever lived. He is in a category all of his own. He alone lived without sin, so that he alone could be the one to make the perfect substitute for sinners. It also says in that same statement that he is the true one, holy and true. Jesus never lies, he only tells the truth, what he says is true, always, always truth, whatever the Word of God says, that is truth. We don't weigh up the Word of God to see if it's true. We weigh up the world to see if it's true. And so our King Jesus and His church and His followers, they have been hated by some, but we're also loved. He says we are loved. The church is loved by Jesus. This is one of the greatest verses in Scripture. Revelation 3.9, Jesus says to the whole church, I have loved you. He says to Axis Church, I have loved you. I mean, that's everything, is it not? That is everything. That God has loved us. And He does. He loves us. The church, the church is the people that Jesus loves. You know why the church continues after 2,000 years of persecution, of challenges, of, of, of hatred, of, of marginalization? Uh, the, the church continues. Why, why does Axis Church continue after so many challenges, after pastors come and go, through times with and without pastors, without leadership, great challenges at different times? What, what is, why does Axis Church continue? It's not because it's powerful. The Philadelphian church, Jesus says, has little strength. It's not because this is easy. No, no, no. And it's not because there's no resistance. It's because Jesus loves us. He does. He just does. And you know what? His love is enough. It's enough. That's why he uses this language to endure patiently. He says that in this passage, endure patiently. He uses words like that we will be able to hold on, hang in there with the hope that you have the love of Jesus. Sure, life is hard and compromise can be tempting at times and the, the opposition that we face is real. There are those who oppose us. But, but Jesus is saying, you're going to be okay. It, it'll be okay. Because the church are the people that Jesus loves. And Jesus' love is enough. It's always enough. It's enough to sustain us. It's enough to empower us. It's enough to encourage us. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the picture there is that Jesus is like a groom. I was, I, I, I was laid down here last night because I had a wedding yesterday. 
um, back home in Maribach. And the picture here is just like a wedding. That Jesus is like a groom and the church is like his bride. And Jesus is like a husband who is completely devoted to his wife. And he loves her so much that he would lay down his life for her. That he would give up his life, that he would die for her. That he would literally give himself for her. In fact, that's exactly what he did. He says, I have loved you. Jesus loves you perfectly. Perfectly. And Jesus wants us all to have that same love for the church, to care about what he cares about, to serve where he's opening doors, to give our lives for what he gave his life for. Jesus says in, in, uh, in this chapter, he goes on to say that we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And this is us, we as individual believers, the Christians in the church, leaders in the church, the whole church, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. He says this in verse 13, Revelation 3.13, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he says this over and over again in the seven letters to the seven churches, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, let me, let me talk about that for a minute. Let me tell you how the Holy Spirit talks to the church. First and foremost, He speaks through the Scriptures, through the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired. It is God's, God breathed. Peter tells us that men didn't just make this stuff up, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit who inspired human authors to write the Scriptures. Amen. This is God's letter to us. And so the first and foremost way of hearing what the Spirit says to the churches is in the Bible. What is it that God is saying to me through this passage? What, what, what am I learning about Jesus? What are the instructions for my life? Uh, what does God want for us? What does God have for us? How is He leading me? Sometimes to hear the Spirit of God, to listen to the voice of the Spirit, might mean... Just real simple stuff. Turn the TV off. Put your phone on silent. Close the computer. Shut out the noise and listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Go for a walk. Just you and the Spirit of God. Listen to what longings He has put in your heart, what scriptures He brings to mind, what wise counsel He brings into your life through godly people around you, what opportunities that He is opening your eyes up to see. That's what it looks like to hear this, what the Spirit is saying to us. And He says to the church in Philadelphia, He says, and this is an amazing statement for a church that is really struggling and, and, and having a hard time of it. In verse 8, He says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I have placed before you an open door that no one can can shut. Now, you understand this is a metaphor, it's a picture of a door where people come and go. Sometimes the door is open and you can go through it, sometimes it's closed and you can't. And Jesus says that He has opened a door that no one can shut because He is the Lord, the ruler over all. So, he, he says what goes and He says, this door is open. No one gets to close it. It is a door of opportunity. It, it is a door between the world and the kingdom. And through this door, people pass to meet Jesus and to receive eternal life. 
And through that door, God's people, we, are sent out on mission to the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to win over the godless. That door, Jesus says, is wide open. He said that to the church in Philadelphia, but I say it to you today, Axis Church, that Jesus has opened a door for you that no one can close. Whether our country allows it or not, you know, whether we're in Australia or another part of the world, the door is open. No one gets to close that door. Now, they might get to punish you for bringing people through it, but they don't get to close it because Jesus is king. And I want, to, I want to encourage you, I want to give you this little memory um, trick for you to think about this open door, that every time you walk through a door, every time you, you today, tomorrow, for this week, maybe even for the rest of your life, walk through a door, let it remind you to pray for your church, to pray, Lord Jesus, please keep that door open for Access Church. Keep people flowing through the door of faith into your kingdom. And, and, and may we be a big part of that. Let every open doorway that you see, maybe you'll be driving through the city and you'll see a door open and it'll just prompt that thought in your mind and pray and look for these kinds of opportunities to walk people through that door of faith into the kingdom of light. Because the church, the church is all about Jesus. The journey we are on is a really simple one. It is to find Jesus, to learn to trust Him and live for Him, and then to grow to be like Him. That's the journey we're on. No one's on a different journey here. We're all on that same journey. And we want everyone we meet to know how much Jesus loves them and the extraordinary lengths that He has gone to to make it possible for us to be forgiven and redeemed so that we could know Him and be a part of His family. Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia, He says, I've opened a door for you, a door that no one can shut. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Philadelphian church. There's not much left of it. There are some ruins from a large cathedral that was built in the 6th century. So the church had been in existence for some five, 600 years, and they built this large cathedral in the 6th century. Now, one of the reasons why there's not much left, this is a picture of it, by the way, you'll see the columns that are left there from the church. One of the reasons there's not much left there is that there were devastating earthquakes in that region. And so the city was continually destroyed, crumbled by these earthquakes. This photo, you see the ruins of the great church at Philadelphia in modern-day Turkey. And you'll actually see there's a mosque in front of it. But it was apparently a very large church. Lots of people met there. They gathered there to worship Jesus, to bring others to find him. It's a real place, the Church of Philadelphia. I show you this picture to drive that home. It is a place that Jesus had no criticism for, only encouragement. For 1,200 years, the Christian church in Philadelphia stayed strong and true. 1,200 years. Earthquakes would hit and buildings would crumble and fall and they would rebuild it. For 1,200 years, this went on. They sent out missionaries to plant churches. For 1,200 years, they stayed faithful to Jesus. For 
hundred years, what happened was that Muhammad came along and Islam is founded and all of a sudden there were wars being fought throughout this region and this was the beginning of the Ottoman Empire and what had been a centre for Christian growth and expansion was being invaded and forcibly converted to Islam. Guess which city, which church was the last to fall in what is modern-day Turkey, was the church in Philadelphia. History tells us that in 1342, Muslim soldiers showed up at the church, all the other cities had fallen, many of the churches had given up, many of the Christians had fled, and this is the last place in the region that fell. It was the church of Philadelphia. They refused to compromise, they refused to deny Jesus. When he tells them in Revelation 3, you have not denied my name, 1,200 years later, the church of Philadelphia, by the grace of God, did not deny the name of Jesus. And they died there in their own church, that's how they shut the church of Philadelphia. It is an amazing church, an amazing story, an encouraging church, a church that Jesus loved. And he loves your church, Axis. He's opened a door that no one can close. 2,000 years later, people are still walking through that door. The kingdom of God is still advancing and we get to be a part of that. You are a part of that. And no matter what size this church is or becomes or has been, no matter what challenges you, you, you face or opposition may come or persecution may, may come to your church, God sees it, He knows it, He's paying attention to it, to you and to your church. He has an open door for you. On the cross, Jesus flung wide that door for us and for all who would come to him. Because Jesus sees and he knows all about it, he's still paying close attention. He has loved you and he has opened a door that no one can close. Let me pray with you now. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have a big brother in Jesus who has gone to the cross for us, but God, that you remained faithful and true to him and raised him from the dead, seated him high and exalted on the throne, and he is our king, alive and well, king of kings, lord and lords, over all, and we worship you, Jesus, today. Lord, would you lift our spirits and encourage us and strengthen our resolve to go forward and to find those who need to walk through this door that you have opened for us. God, you've opened it and you've said no one gets to close it, but we want to take full advantage of that. And so I want to pray right now for this church that you see, this church that you know, this church that you love. I want to pray that the most fruitful years of this church would be yet to come that in the coming days, months and years, that there would be a flood of people who we know and love right now, but who don't know and love you right now, who would walk through that door that you've opened for us. God, we determine right now in our hearts that we will be faithful and true to you, that we will endure, that we will not give up, that we will continue to walk with you and share your love 
and draw people, call people into the kingdom of God through that door that you have flung wide open for us on the cross. You paid a heavy price to open that door and uh, we don't want to waste that. And so God, right now in our hearts, we are making that commitment. We are making that determination. We will not compromise as, as the Philadelphian church did not compromise. And although we won't be here for 1,200 years, perhaps there might be a community called Axis Church or something else or, or the Wesleyan Church that remains and continues well beyond us, that does not give up, that holds true to you. And this morning in this place... There may be some who, some here who have not themselves yet walked through that door of faith. And just in this moment of prayer, it would be unfair for us to assume that that had already happened for every one of you. And so while we are praying, while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if this morning you are here and you have not put your trust in Jesus for eternal life, that you've not walked through that door and said, uh, it's no longer I that lives but Christ in me. I'm leaving me behind. I no longer ruler of my own life, but I'm submitting to Christ. Jesus will become my king. And what he says goes, Father, what Jesus did on the cross, would you apply that to my life because I have sinned and I need to be forgiven. Make me one of your children. Adopt me into your family. I want to follow you. If that is your heart today, If that is your heart today, there's a good chance that what's happening is that your heart is beating a little faster and harder than it, often, than it usually does. Because the Spirit of God is drawing you and calling you and saying, step through that door. Step through that door. Become one of mine. I have loved you and I continue to love you. Become one of mine. And if that's you today, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder if you just raise your hand and say, I'm walking through that door. I want to be one of yours. Well, I think it's great that each of us have already done that. And perhaps some of us are not quite ready to do that yet. But I encourage you to continue to pursue that and to find out more about Jesus. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for this moment that we've been able to gather here together today. We thank you for your church that continues and prevails. And we ask that you would continue to bless us as we serve you and live for you. And so into your church, the church that you loved and died for. And will you continue to just pour blessing upon blessing into this this um, community called Access Church, that it would point people to you every day, that there would be people coming to you, and that you would be glorified and that you would be pleased and that, Lord, if you were to write a letter to us and that we, if we were to read that out here, that we would be encouraged and blessed by what you would have to say about how faithfully we have served you. And Lord, as we sing this service out. We want to worship you because you are um, our honoured king. And uh, 
and, and we want to bring you glory and we want to lift our voices to, to worship you because you're worthy to receive all honor, glory and praise. We, we worship you, Jesus. We say this together in Jesus' name and everybody said...